And the interesting thing about Romans, written by Paul, the apostle, and Paul, typically in his epistles, is writing to churches. So this one, Romans, was written to the church in Rome. He wrote to other churches. He wrote to the church in Galatia and Philippi and Thessalonica, right, to the church in Corinth. But he normally splits up his book into two parts, these letters that he would write to the church. The first part of the church, uh, letter was almost exclusively, specifically around our theology, what we believe about God, who Jesus was, why Jesus came. So it was very head-intensive, this is who the God you have is. But the second half of his letters, the back end of his letters, change to a much more specific, now because this is the God that we have, this is how we are called to live as his children, as his church. And so the back half of his epistles get very practical of how we live out our faith, how we love our God with everything we have, and how we love our neighbor as ourselves. And so this is the back half of the book of Romans. And Paul transitions from theology to practicology. How do we practice our faith? And he specifically talks about how we as the church, the body of Christ, are called to live together. And as we close out our vocational training series, as we talk about what this holy calling is in our lives, what we're going to see is Romans 12 gives us a very practical way to live out as children of God. So Romans chapter 12, verses 3 and following. First verse, For by grace given me, I say to every one of you. Again, this is Paul writing to the church. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, grace is one of those words that for me took a long time to fully understand. In fact, I don't think I fully understand it yet, but I'm closer than I used to be. Because I used to hear grace, and I would think forgiveness of sins. Right? It's God dying for us on the cross that we can have a relationship and be reconciled to him. And for sure, that is part of what grace is. In fact, that is the heartbeat of what grace is. But when you look at Scripture, when you look at the epistles, when you look at the writings of Paul, how he uses the word grace is bigger than just forgiveness of sins. When you look at the Greek word, it actually means divine favor. Church, you have divine favor with God. When we sing songs like grace and grace alone, Yes, you have forgiveness of sins, but you also have God's favor. A special place in his heart, a special place in his plan. And so Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says, I too have God's divine favor, and because of that, because of my special role in your life, Paul says, Everything else, I'm going to say, comes from that. He continues on. He says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Paul starts off talking about his practicality for how we follow Christ. And he says, Guys, pride is going to be the biggest thing that's going to stop you from living out your faith. Sin. This separation that tears us apart from God. Because right? that's what sin is. All it does is destroy relationships. 
It either destroys our relationship with God, it destroys our relationship with each other, it destroys our relationship with ourself. And at the root of sin is pride. It's thinking we know better than God. And so Paul starts off how you practice your faith is to look at yourself with sober judgment. Don't think of yourself too highly because that is going to start you in a position where you're not going to be able to love, you're not going to be able to live like God has called you to. But then he goes on. He says this, he says, For just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. He's talking about the church And there's a bunch of different analogies in the New Testament that are used to describe the church. Sometimes they talk about it as a husband and a wife, and Christ is the husband, and the church is the bride of Christ. Sometimes it talks about it as a family, that we're all in one family together in faith. But more often than not, it's the illustration of a body with different members that all form one unit. And I I love this description because you can't separate one part of your body and say this is more important, right? You see this in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul's writing, he says, your hand can't say to your foot, I don't need you. You would never say that. Right? You would never be like, wow, this part of my body is not particularly useful. No, every part of my body I want to keep. My guess is every part of your body you want to keep, right? I mean, we don't really want it to be in better shape. We might be like, oh, again, my joke is COVID-19 for me will always be the 19 pounds I gained over this last year, right? So we may want our body to be in better shape, but we want the same body. We want all the same members. And so Paul writes to the church. He says, guys, you are all built to be put together. You're built to work together. And then if you don't hear anything else, hear this next verse. So in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Hear that again. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. If you hear nothing else today, if you don't take away any other truth, hear this. You belong to the church. And the church belongs to you. This is so countercultural. In a, in a culture that continually is telling us it's all about us and ours, it's about our best thinking, it's about how we feel about a certain issue, whatever that issue is, the countercultural reality of Scripture is that no, we are not our own little island, our own little fiefdom, but instead we belong to one another. And there's two sides to that. That means that the church has a claim on your life. That through Christ, the church has a claim on you, like I have a claim on my hand, but you also have a claim and belong to the church. The church is built to serve you. Not exclusively, 
not selfishly, but beautifully like a family, like a body where we take care of one another. And we're crucial to what God is trying to do locally, regionally, and across the whole world together. Because that's, that's the other truth that for me, when I look at this last year where there was so much division and bitterness and angst, we forgot that we all belong to one another. And I'm talking about the church all across the world. We all belong to one another. We all should be seeking out each other's good. We all should be relating to one another as family. And yes, families are dysfunctional. Families are hard. There are times where there's tension. And yet even when there's tension because we're family, because we're one body, we don't just start lopping off limbs. Instead we say, no, we're going to figure out how to work together. To be together. Because, again, as Paul writes, so in Christ, though many form one body, each member belongs to all the others. And he starts fleshing out what that looks like. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. There's that word grace again. God's divine favor has uniquely gifted you to be a blessing to others. It's like you each have your own unique fingerprint for the body of Christ. Your own unique role. A function that only you can fill. And that, that's through the favor of God. It's because he loves you. It's because he built you. And then he places you right where he wants you that you can use those abilities, that you can use those gifts to, to be a blessing to the people that he's placed around you. And then he starts to go through. He starts breaking down different types of gifts. And this is not an exclusive, exhaustive list. So we're going to go through, and it's not like, oh my gosh, I don't see myself in any of these things. Sometimes we can have like the spiritual gift inventories, and you're looking through, and you're like, none of these really fit me. Or you do them, and you're like, this isn't me at all, right? Like some, that's the, the Bible, as we talked about last week, is descriptive, not prescriptive, right? It's describing different types, different ways things happen, not prescribing it has to be this way. And yet, this list that Paul comes up with, does give us a really good starting place of what that divine favor can look like. Starts off by saying, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If I didn't understand grace for a long time, prophecy was even bigger for me. Because when I would think about prophecy, right, I'm a big fantasy fan, that always goes into the future, right? That always goes into, oh, one day this will happen. It's having a crystal ball and being able to look in and say, ah, I see what's going to happen. Right? That, that's what we think about prophecy. And when you look at Old Testament, yes, the prophets did sometimes talk about what was going to happen in the future. But it wasn't the majority of what they did. What prophecy was in the Old Testament, what prophecy was in the New Testament, 
was much more specific about speaking truth even when it was countercultural. And so when you look at the prophets of the Old Testament, they called out the sin, they called out the distortion of God's word. And because they were seeing this hurt, this evil, this brokenness happen, they were able to say, because of this, this is going to happen, a cause and effect And that's what prophecy is in the New Testament. It's speaking truth when the world is speaking something different. Sometimes even when the church is speaking something different. Prophecy is about seeing the world through God's eyes. And and then when it doesn't match the reality of what's happening, to be able to point to that gap He goes on. Beyond prophesying, he says, if it's serving, then serve. Again, when I was growing up, serving to me at church meant setting up chairs, you know, cleaning up, maybe making food, right? Like handling like the, oh gosh, not grunt work. Well, no, grunt work. We're going to use the word grunt work, right? Typically, that's what I would think of. If it's serving, then serve. But again, when you look at the New Testament, when you look at the divine favor of God, it's so much deeper than that. Because yes, it it does mean setting up chairs, but, but it also means using whatever gift you have, whatever talents you have, to be a blessing for others. I am really blessed to be the pastor of this church. Because y'all, y'all are talented. Y'all have a diverse group of gifts. Whether it's art or music, whether it's making awesome desserts, Mrs. Keene, <laughs> whether it's being able to help people make sure their house doesn't burn down with electricity sack, whether it's taking care of kids, whether it's seeing things through a business perspective, God has uniquely given each of us talents to serve, to be that blessing. Continues on. If it's teaching, then teach. Our God has designed us to seek out knowledge. That's part of what we're supposed to do. And and knowledge can be hard right now, right? The world is so loud. And and it's so easy to get our knowledge through filtered sources, right? Where we start finding voices that sound a lot like us. And so we go to those voices to seek out truth, to to learn. And yet we have a God who says, no, 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 guys, I, I, I care about knowledge. I care about the truth. I care about facts. And so he calls us, hey, seek them out. But, but don't seek them out like the tribes of this world, from the voices of this world. But do the extra work to find out what is true and then to share it. I love teachers. Teachers are freaking fantastic. They have like this magical gift where they can be around kids for longer than like 20 minutes. 
right? That's about where my bandwidth is. That's why I can do like the band of brothers. I can go back and spend 20 minutes with kids, but then like I've got this ticking time clock where I'm like, oh my gosh. But, but teachers who can spend eight hours a day in a classroom pouring into students, that is a gift, that is a blessing, and it's a blessing that we don't need just in our schools, but we also need in our churches. To be able to pass on knowledge that has a bedrock of truth and fact. It goes on, if it's encouragement, then give encouragement. This is a bit my jam. Uh, typically, they'll give two categories of pastors. There is Barnabas and Paul. Right? Paul was not afraid to have to give a hard truth. Right? He liked to get in there and kind of scuffle. He used a little bit of language that was colorful. Barnabas, on the other hand, in the New Testament, his name literally meant he's a friend. And I like being the friend. I like being the encouragement because we're actually designed to champion other people. We're designed to see something good happening in other people's lives. People are like, that's awesome. Let me celebrate that with you. And, and we're designed when we see someone who's hurting, someone who's wrestling with something, someone who's gone through a trauma or pain, to reach out, put our arms around them and say, we love you. We care about you. We're designed to champion other people. And the church is designed to champion one another. God literally built us in a way that connects us to each other, but then also gets to celebrate with one another. If it's giving, then give generously. It's not our resources, y'all. Finances are a gift from God that are meant to be shared. And, and let me be really clear in this, and not just shared with the church. Right? Like that's part of what God has, right? It's part of how he operates in this world is through this organization, these individual little mission outposts for sure, but, but it's bigger than that. God has blessed us with financial resources to be a blessing, to leverage those resources and to be courageously generous, both within the church, but then also within our community. And again, churches financially can get weird. I was talking to a, uh, a visitor uh, just this past week. Like churches, they need profits when it comes to finances. Because right? it's easy for us to really distort, to, to pretend like, oh, if you just give enough to the church, the cosmic vending machine will finally go your way. That, that, that's not what it's about. But there is a grace, there is a divine favor in giving. In realizing that our resources are not our own, our resources are gifts from a God who is calling us to be a gift and to leverage those to do something awesome for the kingdom. And so that's part of our role within the body of Christ. And he says, if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I feel like this whole section of scripture is just words that I didn't really understand. 
But mercy comes from the Old Testament word hesed. And it's used almost exclusively to describe God and the character of God. And so when Paul writes to the church, show mercy, what he's saying is show the character of God in every relationship that you have. This loving, all-encompassing, arms wide, I'm going to wrap around you and let you know that you are cared for and loved because I have a God who is cared for and loved me, and guess what? He loves you too. Paul writes to the church, and he says, show the character of God through love, through forgiveness, through boldness, through kindness, through joy. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Again, in a world that is so addicted right now to toxicity, to tribalism, to rage. Paul says, no, 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 no. Hate that stuff. Avoid those places. But instead, cling to what is good. Hang out in spaces, whether it's online or in community or what you're reading or what you're watching. Hang out in spaces that are going to bring out the best in you. They're going to point you to the good. That are going to point you to the light and the life of our God and what he is doing in this world. And he closes out by saying this. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Jesus came up with the golden rule, right? Treat others as you wish to be treated. It's essentially how Paul ends. He says, be devoted to one another. Devote yourself to others and treat them as you wish to be treated. And then the cool thing about the body of Christ is that everyone else is doing that for you. And it's humbling to realize that when I live by myself, it's one person looking out for myself. Two eyes. And that is a very limited perspective. The cool thing in Scripture, the divine favor that he gives us, is that when we live like this to be devoted to one another, all of a sudden it's not just two eyes that are looking out for me. All of y'all are looking out for me. And we're looking out for you. And so we're no longer isolated on our own little island. Instead, we actually get to see one another and we get to defend one another and advocate for one another and champion one another. And that becomes this beautiful, holistic, organic body that works and serves and lives together for one another. This is divine favor. This is good. I want to end by you'll indulge me, rewriting scripture. Always a terrifying thing. But Paul starts off by saying, by his divine favor, I say to you. 
Well, I started by saying that I had the divine favor, God's favor, of being the pastor of this church. So I rewrote Romans 12 for y'all, for us. And so Acts Church, Leander, by God's divine favor given to me as your pastor, I say to each of you, realize you are just as broken and beautiful as everyone else. Even those who you vehemently disagree with or those who have hurt you. See yourself and everyone else through the eyes of Jesus. Forgiven, loved, and designed by God. God only has one family, and we each serve it uniquely. God has uniquely blessed you with gifts, abilities, and talents to bless this family. This family is built to be a blessing to you. Speak God's truth, even when it's countercultural or it's personally painful. If you're gifted to serve with your hands, whether through making tasty desserts or repairing a broken pipe, do it well. Seek out knowledge and share what you learn. Bring out the best in others and allow them to bring out the best in you. Celebrating their achievements as if they were your own. When God blesses you with financial resources, share them courageously. And live a life that reflects and points people to Jesus. Cling tightly to the good things in this world. Don't consume, or worse yet, binge on what is evil. Live the golden rule of Jesus. Treat others as you wish to be treated. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God, I give you thanks for this church that you have placed here at Acts. Lord, that we get to be divinely favored. Lord, that we get to serve one another and be served. Lord, that we don't have to look out for ourselves because we have an entire community that's looking out for us with us. Lord God, as we continue to come out of the season of separation, I pray that you courageously send us out serving one another, championing one another, and also serving and championing this community. Lord, that we can be the hands and the feet of Jesus, serving and encouraging and showing that hesed, that mercy, that love that you have for this world. Lord God, we say it's all in your son's precious name. Amen. We now go into a time of worship, and afterwards we will go into a time of the Lord's Supper. Tanner, take it away, sir.